Uh, we're in a series right now in Second Peter and Jude called Reminders. And this morning we're going to be taking a look at Second Peter chapter 3. That's on page 861 in the Pew Bible. Provided there for you, page 861, 2 Peter chapter 3. And if you've got a bulletin this morning announcing some of the events and programs that we've got going on here at Valley Bible, you should have a set of notes in there. If you'd like to follow along, fill in the blank for those of you that like to do that. Uh, that's available to you. If you don't have one, you can just raise your hand in the air and the ushers will make sure you get some. And for those of you that are watching at home, we're so glad that you're joining us. Uh, we love the saints, uh, whether they can make it with us or whether they can't. And some of them are all over the state and all over the world and country. And so uh, we're blessed uh, to have them join us as well. But Second uh, Peter chapter 3, and, and we're in this series called Reminders. We need reminders, amen? amen? And Peter and the apostles and his generation, those that were with Jesus, those that, that saw him and ate with him and, and saw him do miracles, those that listen to his teaching, those that saw him hanging bloody on a cross, those that saw him give up his spirit and get buried in a tomb, and those that saw him raise victoriously and see him ascend to heaven, that generation of people that were eyewitnesses to these things, they were about to depart, Peter says in chapter 1. He says, I'm about to depart and leave this earthly tent. We think that it was written probably sometime in the early 60s AD. And so Peter is getting ready to leave this world. And as he's getting ready to leave, he's saying, there needs to be a perpetuation of this message of the gospel to the next generation and the next generation after that, and the next generation after that, and so on. And so Peter writes this, and Jude, his friend, also an apostle and, and brother of Jesus, actually, biological brother of Jesus, he writes in his letter similarly about these reminders. I want you to remember the things that we've been teaching you. And I want to put it down in writing so that after we're gone, you don't have to look at each other and say, now what did he say again, Right? Then go down and look at the letter and see it with their own eyes. And here we are, thanks be to God. 2,000 years later, God has preserved his word straight from the apostles' mouth, from Jesus Christ to us here today. And so we've been looking at these reminders, and, and we started off by looking at a sure faith from chapter 1. Peter writes, you've been given a sure faith of equal standing as ours, Peter says, so that you don't have to feel like a second-class saint. You're in the family. And since you've been given a sure faith, make your calling and election sure. How? By making every effort to add godly love and a godly lifestyle to your faith. And then we saw from Pastor Tim Volstrom, he said, uh, not only that, but we have a sure word. You see, there were false teachers who were getting in the midst and amongst the people of the church at that time. They were facing persecution from outside, but the threat of false teaching inside. And so he says, not only do you have a sure faith, but you have a sure word. There were false teachers that were saying things like, Man, you were really going to believe all these stories? Didn't you guys just, you apostles, you probably just got in a conference room with some bagels and coffee and just started to come up with this stuff, right? You're making this stuff up. And he says, oh no, I was there on that mountain when Jesus was transfigured before our eyes and we saw him not just as a man, but we saw him in his full glory. And we heard the voice from on high say, this is my beloved son. You would do well to pay attention to what he has to say. And he says, not only that, we have a more sure word in the prophetic writings because we know the scriptures were not just written by men, but the Holy Spirit carried those men along so that we have here as a divine product 
I want to remind you, Peter says, that you have a sure word. Last week we heard from Pastor Larry. He helped us understand Second Peter chapter 2 and gave us a sure warning about the false teachers that were being raised up in their midst. Just like the, uh, the people of Israel had false prophets coming in and saying, hey, take it easy. God's not really going to judge you. He's not really going to punish you for sin. And so there were false teachers that were, were coming into their midst saying, oh, the, the Lord, he, His grace is good. You can do what you want. He winks at what you do. You don't have to live righteously. Follow us. We're having a ball over here. Come join the party. We're doing whatever we please, and we think that we're covered by the grace of God. And, and, and we saw from Second Peter chapter 2 that Peter renounces that. He says, I want to give you a sure warning about these false teachers. Beware their evil and wicked schemes. And finally, in, in chapter 3, and we'll look at Jude, who writes a similar message as well. We'll see that in the next week or so. But here in chapter 3 of Second Peter, we have a sure promise. A sure promise. Now, before we read, I think that it would be wise if we ask for the Lord's help in understanding the Scriptures. Amen? So let's pray. Father in heaven, you've given us a sure word. We thank you for it today. We've sung some marvelous songs to actually think that we're in the presence of the great I am. When Moses saw the burning bush, he was told, remove your, your sandals for, for you're standing on holy ground. And so, Father, in a sense, uh, we, we ought to revere these moments right now in your presence, with your people, with your word open before us. So, Father, I pray that you'd give us hearts that would revere it and respect it and seek to honor it. But, but Father, it's not just about reading the words on a page. It's about having ears ready to listen, hearts ready to obey, eyes ready to see. So we're asking, would you open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from the scriptures, your word today? And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A sure promise. Second Peter chapter 3, again, page 861 in the Pew Bible. But think about this. There's a promise. So now these scoffers, these false teachers, these mockers are coming, and Peter wants to address them. But here's the mocking. Here's where the scoffings come from. It says, when is the Lord actually going to fulfill His promise to return? You apostles, Peter and others, you say that before He left, He said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And He said, I'm going to, re to return. The Son of Man's going to come with judgment to judge the wickedness of the world. So, <laughs> where's this promise? Where is this promise? And Peter says in the last days, scoffers and mockers are going to come saying, where's the promise of this coming? But let's think about this now. This was written in the early 60s AD. Here we are in 2020. 2020. It's been nearly 2,000 years since Jesus made that promise to his people. And we're still waiting for him to fulfill it. What does that do for your faith? How does that make you feel to think, has he forgotten? Does he care? Is he distracted? Maybe, maybe he's just not powerful enough to really do what he said he would do. Maybe he and Satan are in a really big battle and we're waiting to see who's going to win it, right? Maybe he's just got too much on his plate. So certainly this was an issue in the first century. But think about it in the 21st century. Let's read 
2 Peter chapter 3, what does Peter, by the Holy Spirit, have to say about this issue of waiting for the Lord to fulfill his promise? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, and, and Peter addresses them as dear friends, and it's better when you see dear friends to understand. He's, he's meaning it in the most loving way. He's saying beloved. The ones I love and the ones loved by the Lord. Dear loved ones, dear friends, verse 1, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of, of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, so then, beloved, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and un unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, beloved, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So what we have here is actually Peter's refutation of, a, of another uh, uh, obstacle that the false teachers are putting in the way of God's people. Uh, what they're saying is that, wait a minute, we've got an argument with this. You apostles say that the Lord's going to fulfill His promise. Well, where is this coming? And we have to ask ourselves. The world looks at us and says, what, you believe in this supernatural Lord? Believe in this guy? It's been 2,000 years. 
And so we have these mockeries, these scoffings, and maybe even doubts in our own hearts. Why is it taking him so long? Well, let's take a look at the mockers' arguments. First of all, they're saying God must not really care all that much about fulfilling the promise. So let's just, let's just do what feels good, right? Uh, what they're saying is that the Lord is really kind of indifferent about our behavior. You know, if, if the Lord really cared so much about how we're living, don't you think he would have intervened? Don't you think he would have stepped in and said, you need to stop doing that? But here we are. We've been living this way for 2,000 years. All the injustices, all the immoralities, does he, he probably doesn't care. You know, the Lord, is, the Lord is loving and He's gracious. He surely wouldn't punish us. See, these are the kinds of falsehoods that the false teachers were trying to spread early on. And in fact, uh, back in chapter 2, we heard it from Pastor Larry last week as he read it for us and taught. He says, There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. This is Second Peter 2, verse 1. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bought them, excuse me, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and bring the way of truth into disrepute. You see, these false teachers, they weren't necessarily appealing to some sort of false doctrine about Jesus. What they were saying uh, really was spoken more by their lifestyle. They were saying, hey, we're covered by grace. Hey, you know what? God allows us to keep going on. Hey, I'm having a ball over here at this party. You should see all the stuff we get to do. Immorality, greed, sensual desires, their corrupt hearts are showing that they're denying the Lord through their behavior. Because anyone who knows Jesus Christ knows that He is a righteous and holy Savior. But the longer this time goes by, these mockers and scoffers come forward and say, hey, you got it all mixed up about God. He, he's, not a, he's not a God that's going to punish people. But He's giving us time to figure it out and do what feels good. Do what feels right. God certainly wouldn't step in and get in the way of our happiness, would he? Jude 4, which we're going to see here in the next week or so, it says this, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. It could be in our midst even here today. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license. So they take God's grace and they turn it into a license for immorality. And they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. You see, the issue here certainly is related to doctrine, but primarily it's related to a lifestyle. They're saying, oh, we're covered in the grace of God. And Paul addressed this in Romans 6. He says, shall we sin so that grace should abound? Shall we keep living just in a sensual, uh, sinful lifestyle? Because, hey, we're all covered under grace. Doesn't matter how we live. Paul says, may it never be. Jude says, look out for these people. They're perverting the grace of God. And Peter says, this is the kind of stuff you're going to hear from mockers and scoffers. Don't listen to them. They're going to come around and say, the Lord must be indifferent. We can do whatever we want. Let's have a party. Let's have a ball. Well, the first of the mockers' arguments was that God must not really care. He's indifferent. Let's just do what feels good. Secondly, Jesus is taken forever to return. So even if he cares, hey man, we got plenty of time. Don't sweat it. We've got time. And we see here in chapter 3 that, that Peter's addressing those who think that the Lord is slow or, or maybe he's distracted or, or maybe he lacks the power to follow through on his promise. 
And so we think, man, this is just taking forever. I really don't need to worry about it. I can have my fun today, and then at the last minute I can, you know, get right, yeah? Well, if you want to just get your heads wrapped around this, this is not profound. You see it right in the text. What's the main point of the message here from Second Peter 3 is this. Jesus will keep his promise to return. Jesus will keep his promise to return. Not might, not probably, not perhaps. Jesus will keep his promise to return. In the way he described that he would return, he will do it. And Peter wants to remind us today, don't get it twisted, friends. Jesus is going to do what he said he was going to do. First of all, Peter's answer is this. He's not indifferent. God is not indifferent. The Lord Jesus Christ is not indifferent over our lifestyle. He is not indifferent about our sin. He is not indifferent about injustice. He is not indifferent about immorality. He is not indifferent about unrighteousness. No, in fact, he is a just judge. Well, that's one of the most unpopular things to do. Man, people, just, they get so defensive. You criticize, don't judge me. Don't judge me. I don't want to be judged. Who put you in charge of me? Well, friend, you may not like it when I tell you what's wrong, but there is one who you, whom you cannot argue with. Jesus is a just judge. And I'm not here today to pretend to be your judge, friend. I am under the judgment of God as well. Am I willing to submit to him as my Lord and as my judge? We love he's a savior. We love his moral teachings. We love what he's done for us. But, oh, friends, our Lord is a just judge. Verses 5 through 7 talks about his power. talks about his righteousness. It says in 2 Peter 3, 5, But they, these scoffers and mockers, what they do is they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's powerful word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Do you know the Bible teaches that God created everything out of nothing? And he did it by his word. Now, some of us, we could create things by telling somebody else to do it, right? But God didn't do that. He speaks the word and there's nothing there and all of a sudden there's something. And not only that, Peter is saying that when he created the heavens and the earth, there was like this formless void, Genesis says, almost kind of like this chaotic stuff of water. And he says, I'm going to bring order out of chaos. And so guess what he does again? He speaks his word, and the waters were separated from the waters. God in his powerful word has created all that we see. Don't get it twisted, friends. Jesus can keep a promise, amen? Well, not only that, we know uh, sometime later in the book of Genesis, because the wickedness of the earth was so rampant, God said, I regret that I've made man. I'm going to destroy all the earth. I'm going to start over with Noah and his family. And guess what he did? Again, with his word, he brought the waters down and it destroyed and flooded all the earth. So that same creative power has the same power by his word to destroy and judge all of humanity. He is a righteous and holy judge. His judgment for the wicked. The flood brought water. But then we're also going to see then in verse 7, it says this, by that same word, the present heavens 
and earth are reserved for fire. Why not water again? Because God, when he brings Noah out of the ark, he puts this seal of a promise in the sky. And he says, I'm going to give you the rainbow so that every time you look at that, you remember that I'm promising you, I will never destroy the earth like this with water ever again. So it can't be water. Why? Because the Lord knows how to keep a promise. But it says in verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There will be judgment for the wicked, friends. Now, we don't hear too much hell, fire, and brimstone preaching today because, frankly, it's just not very popular. But I, I'm so thankful that we're at a Bible church and when we go to a Bible church, we're, we're going to try and submit to God's word as faithfully as we can. And we come to Second Peter chapter 3 and guess what Peter's talking about? Hell, fire, and brimstone, friends. The flood brought water. Don't get it twisted. Jesus can keep a promise. The day of the Lord will bring fire. Isaiah chapter 66, the prophet Isaiah, he foresees this and he tells of the coming of the day of the Lord. It says in verses 15 and 16 of Isaiah 66, See the Lord is coming with fire, and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people and many will be those slain by the Lord. Friends, this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not a picture we paint often, but it is a picture of the scriptures. The Lord will keep his promise to return for the wicked it will be a day of judgment it will be a day of fire and not only that but, but Peter goes on to say that that day the day of the Lord will come like a thief verse 10 it says the day of the Lord of 2 Peter 3 the day of the Lord will come like a thief the heavens will disappear with the roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare like a thief Jesus speaks this same way. In fact, I think Peter has Jesus' words in mind when he writes this, but, but Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verses 43 to 44, Jesus is speaking about his return, and he says this, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house get broken into. So you also, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. Now, Jesus isn't a thief. He doesn't come to destroy and to steal. Uh, to, to steal. He comes to heal and forgive and to judge. But what Jesus and what Peter, the comparisons they're making is that just like a thief comes, a thief doesn't come when the lights are on, in the middle of the day, when you're awake and all prepared for somebody to come through. No, He waits until you're susceptible. He waits when you're not expecting. How, how many of you have alarms on your homes or locks on your doors and alarms and locks on your cars, right? Right? And, and we lock that. We lock that every night. I, I go back. I'm kind of a little obsessed about this. I go, I want to be the last one downstairs before we go upstairs because I want to make sure that I know that the house is locked up and secure, right? 
Now, the chances, and I don't know about your neighborhood, but in my neighborhood, uh, you know, we live in Vallejo, but it seems like a pretty safe neighborhood. And, and uh, you know, every time I go to bed at night, I think, does anybody actually come up here and, like, check the handle to see if it's unlocked? To see, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's unlocked. Maybe they're not suspecting me and I can get in. I don't know if that happens. I don't have one of those video cameras or anything, but, but how many of you think the odds are really high that every night somebody comes to check your door? or check your uh, front door. I, I think it's probably pretty slim. Now let's say, let's just be generous and say it's like one or two times out of ten. Let's say it's two times out of ten are the chances that somebody that wants to rob you will actually come and check the door every night. Now think about it. 80% of the time, that's probably not happening. So if, if it's only happening like 20% of the time, the chances are tonight that nobody's going to come. So here's what I want to suggest you do. Let's not lock our doors Let's not set our alarms. In fact, let's leave our cars out on the street. Let's leave the keys in the ignition and unlock. And chances are nothing's going to happen, right? Yeah, you're like, you're crazy. Get out of here, Matt. No, I'm not doing that either. That's foolishness. Why? Because the thief comes when you least expect him. When you're not ready. And Peter says that the coming of the day of the Lord is going to be like a thief. You're not expecting it. And boom, here it is. And there's no turning back. There's no second chances. And, and, and what Peter is saying, I want you to be ready because the day of the Lord will come like a thief. At any time. At any time. The Lord will keep his promise to return. But he's not promising you that you're going to know when it is. So be ready. So be ready. The day of the Lord will come like fire. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now that's for the wicked, but listen to this good news. However, let's look at verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we, who's the we? Those in Christ. Those who are followers of Jesus. Those who have put our trust and faith in him and turned from our sin. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Man, I, I love that. What good news that is. That this promise that Jesus is going to come, it's the other side of the coin. One promise, for the wicked, it means fire and judgment coming on you like a thief. But for those of us in Christ, it comes with the promise of the hope of a new heavens and a new earth of righteousness. Righteousness, peace, blessing, and the presence of God. No more need to lock your doors, friends. There's righteousness in this new heaven and earth. There's no need to weep and cry over the, the murder of the unborn, friends. This is a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There's no need for the cries of the poor and those who are overlooked in our society crying out, where is the justice? This will be a realm of justice and righteousness and peace and hope. This is our great hope, the appearance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It will be a glorious day for those in Christ. Jesus will keep his promise to return. Amen. Well, Peter is going on here. He says, first, I don't want you to get it twisted. The, the Lord can keep a promise. He knows how to judge the wicked and he knows how to redeem the righteous. One last thing about this day of the Lord. And let's look at verse 13. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 10 again. 
It says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We already saw that. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements. Now, the elements there, it's like the basic stuff that makes up the universe. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. What does your version say? Exposed? Found? The earth and everything done in it, verse 10, will be laid bare. This is a little bit frightening, friends. Now, whether or not we know that the Lord is actually going to destroy everything or if He's going to renew the present heaven and earth, there's, there's theologians and commentators. Which one is it? I, I'm not exactly sure, but I do know this. The point that Peter's trying to make is this. The day of the Lord will expose everyone for who they really are. This word laid bare means to be found, uh, to come upon something when you've lost it, or to discover something new, or to discover the whereabouts. Really, it's the idea of, man, I, I lost my keys. Eureka, I found them, right? That's the idea here. It's the same word, actually. So when the day of the Lord comes, there's going to be a, a tearing away of the old, and the new is only, only going to remain, and everything, not just in the earth, but all the works done in it, who's doing those works? You and me and us, all of humanity, all of it's going to be laid bare. All of it's going to be exposed. There will be no hiding from the Lord on the day of the Lord. The question is, is how will you be found? How will you be found on that day? Some of us, we think, oh, I, I could dabble in a little side sin. You know, maybe a little bit of a, a, a lustful habit, or, or maybe it's a root of bitterness that I've, I've got in my heart that I've been holding against someone, but you don't really know how much they hurt me. I, I don't have to forgive them, right? I could tuck that away. Or maybe it's some way that I've been dishonest with a spouse or a friend or a neighbor. Maybe I've been stealing from my employer on the side. That's all right. They, they, they take advantage of me anyway. I can get away with it for some time. No, on the day of the Lord, all the works will be exposed. Will you be prepared? You know, I've been meeting with someone recently, and this person's just been sharing with me that they've been caught in some sin, been exposed, and my heart grieves. But you know what? In a way, I'm thankful. Because I think, thank you, Lord, that they're exposed here and now today because there's an opportunity to respond today on that day friends all things will be exposed there will be no second chances jesus will keep his promise to return how will you be found how will you be found well we've seen the mockers and the scoffers arguments and uh and we've seen that that peter is saying don't get mixed up. Jesus will come to judge. But, but the first one is that, does Jesus really care? The second one is, is, is he slow? Is he distracted? Is he just taking a really long time? Well, Peter addresses that also in chapter 3, verse 9 of 2 Peter and verse 15. Let's take a look at our text again. Chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. He's patient with you. First of all, he's not bound by time. In, in verse 8 again, it says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. 
You see, in our, our view of time, 2,000 years, that's a long time. But for the Lord, it's like a moment. He's not bound by time. You're, you and I, were bound by time. You know, if you show up here at 3.30 this afternoon and expecting to have a church service, I guarantee you there's not going to be many people here for a church service, right? We've got other plans later. And if you were to say, well, I'm ready now, you should come. No, 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 you're bound by time. We're all in this thing together, right? You can't get away from it. But the Lord is not bound by time the way we are. In fact, Psalm 90 uh, verse 1 says this, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting in the past to everlasting in the future, you're just God. You're just, you are who you are. You're not bound by this time that we're in. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or, or like a watch in the night. You know, it's not fair to say like, okay, so today's a day, so that's a thousand years to God or vice versa. A thousand years, that's just like a day. It's a comparison, friends. What Peter's trying to say is that God's not bound by time. You think he's slow? Man, you, you can't rush this God. You can't be looking at your watch and saying, all right, it's about time. No, you don't rush this God. He's not bound by time. So you think he's slow, but first of all, he's not bound by our concept of time. But then also, he's not slow. He's patient. Think about that. God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is patient. He's patient. Look at verse 9 of 2 Peter 3 again. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. And here's a further description of what that patience looks like. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in verse 15, he says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. His patience means salvation. What is this patience? It's a, it's a steadfastness. It's an endurance. It's a forbearance. We use this of, of the way we say, I, I'm, I'm trying to be patient or I'm trying to endure a hard time or I'm trying to endure a trial. Or we may use it in this way, I'm trying to be very patient with my children right now, Right? Bearing with one another. It's a state of, of emotional calm in the face of being provoked. It's a state of emotional calm in, in, the, in the face of misfortune. And it's without complaint or irritation. Uh, it's a term, this kind of patience. It's been, it's been expressed in, in kinds of uh, forms of speech or, or language to, to have the example of being remaining seated in one's heart in the midst of provocation or keeping one's heart from jumping up or to have a waiting heart. And, and Peter says this patience is salvation. Uh, here's the picture, and, and we think, man, 2,000 years is a long time. It must mean that the Lord is really slow, but really it's the Lord saying, you know what? There is coming a promised day of fire and judgment, but today I'm laying down my sword and I'm opening my arms to you. And I'm saying... You may think it's taken a long time, but really, I'm just being patient toward you. You provoke me with your sins and your immorality and the way you treat each other and your injustices. And one day, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to grab my sword and it's going to be too late. 
I'm going to come with fire, but that's not today. That's not today, the Lord says. He says, I'm here today, and I'm patient. You can provoke me all you want. All the ways that humanity provokes God to anger. It says in Ephesians 2 that we were children of wrath, storing up wrath for the day of wrath. But here, with these children of, of wrath, you and me, sinners, the Lord is staying seated and saying, my sword is down for now. I love you. I don't want any of you to perish. I want all of you to come to repentance. Come and receive me. So this same God that's full of justice, the same God who will bring judgment one day is a, is a God who today is staying seated and patient and saying, I don't want anyone to perish. Praise be to God for His grace toward you and toward me, this God of mercy, this God of love. We use terms all the time for salvation. We use it's God's forgiveness. It's his mercy. It's his grace. It's his love. It's all those things. But Peter here is saying it's his patience that is salvation for you. All the stuff that he puts up with, with you and with me. I, I couldn't live a day with me probably, but here's the Lord staying seated saying, Matthew, Come to me. I'm not judging you today. Every second of every day, every time the sun rises and every time the sun sets, the false teachers want us to think God is slow, God doesn't care. But Peter says, no, every time you see a sunrise, every time you see a sunset, every time the clock ticks, every time you have a meal, every time you celebrate a birthday, understand it's another moment of my patience with you, my patience with you. God's patience is salvation. So our Lord is not slow. He's not bound by time. Our Lord is not indifferent. He cares. He's a just judge. Our Lord isn't uh, delayed or distracted. He's patient with you. Jesus will keep his promise to return. So finally, what, what are our actions? What is Peter calling us to? Well, first of all, he's saying, for, first, since he's just, make every effort to be found living for him. Again, verse 11 says, 2 Peter 3, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? What kind of zeal? What kind of passion? What kind of commitment and obedience ought we to be knowing that Jesus will keep his promise to return you ought to live holy and godly lives fleeing from this sin that will bring judgment on the world and running to God and say God cleanse me show me the way of your holiness of your godliness of your righteousness if there's anybody on the planet that should be passionate about justice and righteousness and holiness in this world with zeal and commitment, it should be God's people. Because we know, we've been told by a great promise-keeping God that He will keep it one day. We ought to be holy. We ought to make every effort to be found living for Him. Verse 14 says the same sort of thing. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless. That's actually having clean character. Is God doing a work in your heart? 
Is He washing you clean of the sin? Are you remaining in the filth of this world? Friends, Jesus will keep His promise to return. So get the sin out. Allow Him to do a cleansing work in your heart. Confess it to Him. He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you without spot of all your unrighteousness. Make every effort to be spotless. Make every effort to be blameless. Blameless, that means that there isn't any accusation that people could get, bring against you that sticks. I'm living righteously in an unrighteous world. And be at peace with God. Oh, friend, that will be a day of violent judgment. But today, you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Make every effort to be found living for Him. On that day when the earth and all its works are exposed, how will you be found? Will you be found living for Him? Living for Him. Well, Jesus will keep His promise to return, so since He's patient, turn away from your sin and come to Him. Again, verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Now, we believe at a church here that the Scriptures teach clearly about the sovereign power and rule of God. We believe that no one, because of their sinful nature, could come to Him willingly. He actually has to quicken their hearts. And He's chosen a people before the foundation of the world who would come to Him. But that does not deny the compassionate heart of God. He's remaining seated, and He knows who are His, but yet He calls out to the whole world and He says, I don't want any of you to perish. I've given you my grace. Won't you come? Today, some of you might be sitting here and you've been waiting thinking that uh, God doesn't really care about my sin that much, does He? Oh, oh, oh I I've got plenty of time. I've got uh, more to do on my agenda. Oh, friend, today know that the Lord is waiting for you to turn from your sin and come to Him. Hebrews 9.27 says that it's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. You will face the judgment seat of God in one of two ways. You'll die and meet Him there, or you will be there at the return of the Lord when He will judge His people. Will you be ready? Will you be ready? Every second that's ticking now, today is not that day. Every second that's ticking, the sun will go down later. Today is the day of salvation. He's being patient with you right now. Come today. You're not promised tomorrow. Come today. This is what Peter is saying. Consider the Lord's patience as salvation. As salvation. Yes, he's angry over sin, but today he's saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. Listen to the heart of the Lord in Ezekiel 18, verse 30. It says, Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn. Turn away from all of your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart and get a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Our God is not sadistic. Our God is not, he doesn't take joy when people perish. He says, my heart breaks over it. That's why I'm here patiently waiting for you to turn. Paul says the same thing, Romans 2, 4. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience, 
Don't you realize that the God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Jesus will keep his promise to return. That's the, the lesson today. The question is, will you be ready? Will you be ready? In closing, I, I'd like to think about this. This may be helpful to understand uh, what Peter's trying to say. You know, recently in the last couple of years, 2017, we saw some disastrous fires in our region, uh, up in Sonoma County and Napa County. Then 2018, we saw the terrible fires in Redding and then also in uh, 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 Paradise and Butte County. And just hearing stories of, of people and how they went through that horrible horrific uh, event and and uh, some of the stories of people just getting out i personally know some people that were living in some of these neighborhoods especially in santa rosa uh, i have a pastor friend who lives up there and he lives right next to the coffee park uh neighborhood that was almost completely wiped out by the fires and he says i can remember the smell of the smoke i can remember people that were fast asleep until somebody came banging on the door there's a fire get out well what does that mean there's a fire that starts 20 miles away and now it's engulfing my entire neighborhood. This friend describes him getting in the car and trying to be as diligent and fast and orderly as possible. And as he's pulling away, he could just see the street on both sides just lined with homes that are engulfed in flames. Just escaping the judgment. Just escaping the fire. Uh, I wouldn't say it's judgment in that time, but I want to relate it to the fire that's coming for us. There's a fire that's coming. And Peter is giving us a warning. He's knocking on the door. He's saying, today is a day of patience. You don't have to experience that day of fire. We don't have to be a part of that. We can be a people of a new heaven and a new earth. But will we respond today and understand that we can't get it twisted? Jesus will come to judge. But today, he's showing his patience, which means salvation for you and salvation for me. What kind of people ought we to be in light of this? Holy, righteous people. What kind of people ought we to be then in telling our friends and neighbors, hey, there's a fire coming. Should be zealous more than any to tell this dark world of the righteous day of God's judgment in Jesus and call them to repentance. And today if you're here and you've been waiting and you've been waiting and you've been waiting, or maybe for the first time you're really hearing the truth about God's judgment. Today, I, I, I'm not Jesus, but I, I just want you to get the picture. This is, this is Jesus here for you today. He's waiting with open arms. He's saying the sword is down right now. I'm going to pick it up someday, but today I'm being patient with you. Don't hate my patience. Don't waste another second. Don't waste another hour don't waste another sundown. Don't waste another birthday. Come to me. You can be saved and rescued if you turn from your sin and trust in me. Friends, that's our message. That's our message. That's the reminder that Peter wants us to know. Jesus will keep his promise to return. Will we be ready? Will you be ready? Will I be ready? Let's pray. Father in heaven, that's a sobering, sobering message today but yet it's always full of hope. Father, we deserve nothing but judgment and fire and despair and, and all of it, all the punishment. But in the middle of it, even in the midst of our sin, you say, I give you hope in my son Jesus. 
Jesus will return one day to fulfill his promise, but today he's got arms open wide. Oh, Father, enlarge our hearts. Give us open arms and open hearts to tell a lost, dark, perishing world, the Lord is patient. Why don't you come to him? Turn from your wickedness and receive Christ. Oh, Father, I pray that of all people, you would find us here today living holy and righteous and godly lives. Show us the sin in our hearts. I don't want to be exposed to be a fake and a phony and a charlatan. I want to be able to enjoy a new heavens and a new earth with Jesus Christ. So, Father, today in your patience, would you show us and reveal to us the sin in our hearts? And, Father, for someone, someone here today, who may have laughed and scoffed at the patience of God. Oh, I pray, convict their hearts that they would come and receive the Savior. Let them receive the Savior. You're pounding on their door to saying, come, escape the judgment. You can have peace with me. Oh, Father, now as we go to Super Bowl parties and lunch and all these different events, Father, please help us to remember the day of the Lord is coming. Is there someone maybe at our party today that needs to hear this message, that needs to be warned? Fill our mouths. Fill our mouths with this message. Fill our hearts with a burning desire to please you. We love you. Help us as we go now. In Jesus' name, amen.